This is Magic City Soccer. Es el fútbol de la ciudad mágica. This is Magic City Soccer. Este es el fútbol de la ciudad mágica de Miami. This is Magic City Soccer. Let's go, Miami FC. This is Magic City Soccer. This is Magic City Soccer. Vamos, Miami. This is Magic City Soccer. This is Magic City Soccer. Este es el fútbol de la ciudad mágica de Miami. This is Magic City Soccer. This is Magic City Soccer, your home for everything you need to know about soccer in Miami-Dade County. Hello again, soccer fans in South Florida and beyond, and welcome to our show. Uh, we've got three uh, three co-hosts here for you tonight. I, of course, is one of them, Matthew Bunch. I've also got Drew Hausman on. Drew, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing excellent. I'm doing excellent. Waiting for uh, some more soccer to start up in South Florida so I can uh, stop sitting on my couch. Yeah, we're currently in like the two-week period where there's not really any uh, like active games going on, but there's been plenty of news to fill in anyway. Uh, the third man tonight, again, Omar Mubayed, not with us this evening, but uh, his voice has been a little absent the last couple episodes, but we do have him on in a little bit, uh, foreshadowing. Uh, the third on with us tonight is Lee Efens, everyone's favorite Welshman. Lee, how you doing, buddy? Yes, I'm back. I am very happy today. Wales just won a competitive game against Ireland, which never happens. So in, celeb- in celebration, I came on the podcast. Wonderful. Yeah, I was going to say, I should say the glowing Leafins, because um, that was <laughs> that was a dominant performance. Uh, your boy, the bane of my existence with that bicycle kick still haunting my dreams. Uh, pretty good performance out of Bale, right? Yeah, well, I mean, the whole team played pretty well. It was Giggsy's first competitive uh, international game managing. Um, and yeah, they, they played him off the park, you know. It could have been like 6-1. There we go. And uh, Never Bale, anything like it. Bale is a boy from where? Uh, nah, 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 nah. He's a boy from Wales called Gareth Bale. <laughs> so uh, again, hats off to to the Welsh uh, for that big win in the, uh, the the Nations Cup. Is that right? The UEFA Nations Cup tournament. The UEFA, the UEFA Nations League, I believe it is now. Nations called. League. That's right. Yeah. Yes. So that'll be the the whole international schedule is getting jacked up, but it's for competitive games. So I'm. Mm. It, it's, in, we'll, we'll, it's interesting. We, we'll we've see how it pl- goes. We've got plenty to talk about. Uh, but we apparently, won't. Germany and France didn't understand it was competitive games, but. <laughs> <laughs> um, but. So we'll we'll put a pin in that and come back to it because we got a lot of lot to talk about on the home shores here, uh, in Dade County. Uh, the the top news, the big news from this week: uh, loud, pink, proud, uh, Inter Miami CF Club de Football Miami Internacional, uh, whatever you like to call it, whatever names get attached to it. This this team that had this kind of zombie team that dies but won't die and comes back and now it seems to be a going concern finally has a name, uh, Club Internacional de Football Miami. That's the actual name, shortened to Inter-Miami CF. Uh, the announcement was made in the Miami Herald, of all places, basically a special wraparound section distributed with the paper uh, on Wednesday morning. Um, the whole front page of the paper was just basically pink with one big crest on the front of it. Uh, four-page special edition that detailed kind of the club credo or whatever you want to call it along with an explanation of the crest that uh, you know people who are into design uh, really love that kind of stuff and then the uh the basically the crest within a crest being page four that's the kind of uh three cornered logo with the birds with the interlocking m leg uh, i highly recommend you go to magiccity.soccer we kind of did a re a write-up of everything that happened that day uh beyond the special section um but it's not football yet we don't have any balls getting kicked around, but this does appear to be another step 
And one more, you know, path down this long and winding road. It does appear that there, there is movement. There's life. There's a there there uh, with this club, with this team. Uh, Drew, what do you think about the the big release yesterday? Uh. I, I thought it was a good launch uh, between the newspaper. Uh, I believe it was the the painted building. They handed out a bunch of stickers. Uh, it was a smart plan, you know. They kind of, uh, I believe it was somebody from the Herald or a couple other reporters, kind of looked at the the copywriter trademarks and kind of released the team name potentially and the logo potentially out earlier. But to kind of go in one big swoop, uh, combined with the the Herald ad. Or the Herald front page was a pretty smart move, uh, especially because uh, going into November, you know, I, I think for the next uh, however many months, there's just going to be a massive PR blitz. But it, it was a smart way. It was a smart way to put it out, and I thought they did it really well, especially kind of using the whole Miami. Uh, it wasn't in Winwood; it was downtown. But the the painted building thing was was pretty smart on their behalf. And I think one of these things that, uh, especially that I voiced early on. Uh, Prior to all this was kind of the the lack of involvement with the Beckham organization and the city of Miami where they kind of, when they first came in, it was like, hey, call your senator, call your uh, call your local congressman. Okay, bye. And now to see kind of the, the more community involvement, it's like, okay, now they kind of seem to have their their shit together <laughs> as a uh, as an organization. So uh, I, I thought it was a pretty, pretty wise launch uh, going into the other night. I do want to clarify really quick. The The original story on those trademarks is actually broken by Bill Reese at the Water Tower. He's at Reese Comet Bill on Twitter, and he's been he's been a step ahead of everyone, including the Herald. Uh, ah, the, the I, third Reese brother. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the long-lost Reese brother. Um, but, yeah, he's done a great job with that. And a, a, a note that a lot of people picked up on, um, when Bill uh, released those uh, – that basically found the filings. Uh, the original crest said Internacional Club de Football Miami, and as people pointed out in Spanish, that is kind of grammatically incorrect. Uh, and so the actual release yesterday, the the crest does have Club Internacional de Football Miami. Uh, Lee, again, this kind of ad blitz, uh, if you will, to kind of get um, this club aware in, in people's minds. Uh, it's something we've kind of been looking for for like four years now, an actual like tangible thing that people can I- visually identify with. Uh, what you, would you make of the events of yesterday? Um, well, I mean, my old cynical heart thinks that the leak was probably choreographed just to, to test the waters of the reaction to it. Um, I, you know, I think that maybe they want to get absolutely everything right and they need to get absolutely everything right to get this to work properly. So I think they probably leaked it intentionally to see if there was a big outrage. Oh, this is terrible. And it, you know, to be fair, it's not. You know, They've put a lot of time and money and effort into it. And the name, I'm not so keen on. I think that, I'm not a fan of the name, but the color scheme is pretty dope. Like the, the pink and, and black, I think that's going to work well. It is very Miami. And, you know, I, th- I, think it was, I think it was a pretty good effort at getting it out there. You know, people are talking about it, you know. You can't you can't miss the the mural down in Brickle. You know it's two walls of that building. I have to cycle past it every day, which you know <laughs> is, a, is is an interesting thing. Cause, you know I'm 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 the diehard Miami FC fan, but um they got it right. Like, you know I'll I'll call a spade a spade, and I'll call the franchise a franchise, and they got it right. <laughs> yeah, I I would generally uh, agree. I was I was kind of interested as someone who is. Uh, ostensibly a, a part-time employee in the newsprint industry, the fact that the club went w- with the direction of involving the Herald 
as basically as kind of the, the, the tip of the spear in terms of the release. Because basically that Jorge Mas video of the, the papers rolling off the presses was kind of the first sign that something was up. That was the first sign to me, at least, when I woke up yesterday at like 6.30. Um, I thought that was interesting. Um, and I, I think that what's interesting about it is is the challenge that I think this club is going to face is that the Miami market, as we talked about, it's a very unique market in terms of attracting fans. And so I think that this kind of, I would say the design, again, I'm not an artist, I'm not whatever, but it, it, it looks kind of, it's Miami and youthful. Even though, you know, the pink is kind of that pastel art deco, it kind of, it combines a few elements, but it, it screams kind of, you know, it's it's not a 70s sports design, it's, it's a modern design. And to kind of plaster that on the, 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 Old timey, and, and again, buy your subscribe and support your local newspapers. But to kind of to kind of reach for the word legacy, that's what I'm looking for. To reach out to legacy media as the means by which to launch this, I thought I thought was interesting. Um, I definitely know that that idea of that kind of keepsake. Uh, that if you are someone who is tied into this club and has been from the beginning, uh, you're going to want to keep that special section. You're going to want to. I I saw people on Twitter yesterday talking about framing it. They'd already gone to like a frame shop. Um, that, that to me is interesting, having something that's tangible. How We've been screaming for five years almost. There's no tangibility to this team. There's nothing to grab onto. Well, now there's something to literally grab onto. It's paper. You know, it's it's not a, a jersey. It's not a it's not something you'd take to a game, really. But it is something tangible. I do think that may have been in their thought process. we got to give the fans something to literally hold on to, and this is that. In terms of the design of the crest... I like it. Uh, every every you know new crest or logo that's designed that's released now, not just in in MLS and not just in soccer, but there's always okay. Well, the reason this angle is at you know 27 oh, degrees yeah. is because of the 27 communities that make it. And it's like okay, we get it. it it's a nice looking crest. Your backstory's cute, but it, per, perhaps a little too. You spend a little too much time on it, but still, it, it's also it's fun. It's fun. It's it's. This is kind of what we were asking for. In terms of the name, we were aware that it was basically down to Inter or Atletico. I'm glad they went with Inter over Atletico. That was my preference out of the two. Uh, I still think Miami Vice is the is is the winner. I know you'd have to pay off, you know, uh, Don Johnson or someone like that to get it, but I, I still think that would have been the super fun name. Um, but Inter Miami, I can live with it. I think it's a name that people will get and understand, and it's something that, that can translate outside of this market and outside of the United States. I think if I jump in, sorry if anyone else wanted to, but Inter is kind of the thing I don't like about it because even, you know, Inter Milan, they're not really called Inter, you know, they're Internazionale. So when teams put that Inter in front of their name, there's, there's, it, it really doesn't come from anything. So that's the little bit that seems like hokey for me. I actually think I would have preferred to see Atletico. Um, I don't know if that's a controversial opinion, but I think that sat a little bit better. Um, but yeah, yeah, I agree with you, Matt. It was. I think now we'll, we're going to see a drip feed. I think of something every month, something every six weeks. You know, there'll be like a little, a, you know, a little reveal of something else, a little reveal of a kit. I think they have to keep it now going, like you say, probably to November and past it. I, I do want to mention um, uh, Will Manso, who I kind of went out of the way yesterday to kind of highlight that his. Um, his, his coverage of this in terms of the TV market uh, has been spectacular. Uh, for someone who has, he has been publicly skeptical of this uh, on Twitter more than anyone else, I think, in local media, uh, kind of questioning when is it going to happen, is this going to happen, you know, being very vocal about why am I going to, you know, dedicate 
time to, to soccer when I don't know if it's going to stick. He's also been critical of Miami FC in that way. But uh, he's kind of owned this story on the TV side. And he spoke to Jorge Mas yesterday, and he was able to basically confirm that the next step is supposed to be within the few weeks to finalize jerseys and other merchandise. Uh, I think, you know, maybe an October 15th date, about three weeks before an election, might be a good idea to get it visual, get it out there. Um, that's certainly a possibility, but we also know, I, I, I spoke with Jorge Mas, uh, middle July, he said that the director of football would be announced uh, beginning of August, and, I'm sorry, would be, in, would be announced at the end of August, and the team name would be announced at the beginning of August, and that got flipped. Paul McDonough got announced at the beginning of the month, and this was announced at the beginning of September. So, Mr. Moss's timelines are, are rough, <laughs> vague, uh, and, and are a little bit fungible, but I definitely, at Lee, as you mentioned, I, I, I don't see any other reason why they wouldn't do this kind of drip, drip, drip with the faucet definitely being kind of turned a little bit heavy in the next couple of weeks to try to build momentum for that election, that ballot initiative in November. I I want to see the jerseys, but do you think they'll actually come out prior to the election? Like, well, I, I, I mean, I see MLS allowing that to happen, but have we seen that before in the past, like on kind of a, a teeter-totter MLS uh, franchise or, or no? Like... I think everybody wants it, and it'll just help their cause. But do you think MLS will like approve the 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 kits being made prior to the the actual vote? Well, I think the question there is, do the MLS want to make some money? And the answer is always going to be yes. So <laughs> yeah, um, that's I, where I was I going think, to. But but I think if the vote goes wrong, then then that's just going to look like completely terrible on their behalf, selling a a kit for a non-existent. I, yeah, at, at this point, Drew, I don't think they can think this vote is going to go wrong. I think, you know, they have to think like a sportsman, really. They have to think this vote is going to go right. And I think maybe like a concept kit, a training jersey, you know, maybe something like that. Maybe not the full-blown, this is what we're going to be playing in in 20 years' time. But I think it would be good to get visibility around the city. And I think it will, you know, it will make the money. I, you know, maybe not a full kit, but something kit-like. Yeah, because I, I mean, even uh, prior for the uh, the town hall meeting, uh, they were giving away MLS Miami kind of Adidas branded, uh, I guess they were jerseys, but not typically jerseys, athletic shirts that were. Yeah, that, uh, a dry fit type shirt. Yeah, yeah. If, yeah. I, if, if but I was, was there, basic MLS Miami, but it, you know, didn't include any kind of accessories. So, yeah, I, I can see. I guess if they if they do the logo, you know, maybe not a full on Adidas like on field kit, but yeah, like you said, training jersey. Yeah. Yeah, something but that'll be interesting. That, something that guys can wear, you know, down at like soccer five or something like that. You know, I think you, to me that's like a no-brainer kind of move. You know, something football kit esque. I do think it is worth mentioning, and again, take it with a grain of salt. But the the ownership group has stated, even if this vote does fail on Mel Reese in November, that they're they're committed to trying to make this team work at Overtown. That that is the backup plan. Now, what? Let's hope so. <laughs> One, is that the actual backup plan? I don't know about that. I would think at mm. that point you start exploring Doral and, and, and around the area. Two, if the vote fails and there is no other backup plan besides Overtown, will it actually go there? I don't know. So I, I, I do want I, I to put out there the official word and also put out the word of caution about how they, that may work out. But it, it is still I, – I, I honestly do believe I don't think that November vote is the up or down referendum on MLS coming to Miami. I don't think that's the end of the road, even if it's a no. I agree. But, yeah, yeah, that's, that's but, true. But if it doesn't happen, do we kind of get stuck back into that another, like, six-year, four-year hiatus period where it's 
let's explore this site shot down let's explore this site shot down like I that that's 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 my fear but at the same at time the mil- what were you saying sorry i was saying i definitely think that the clock gets pushed back at least another year yeah sure. yeah exactly yeah and that uh that mmxx at the bottom is going to look uh a lot worse as an mmxxi um <laughs> have you seen so, it before on a mls 22 yeah. 23 next <laughs> yeah so um yeah, I, I think that it, it, it's – that November vote is going to tell us a lot. And and as I've said before, I've said it privately, I've said it publicly, they've got to run up the score. It, it can't just be a 51-49. And, and, that, and that's why I think they kind of did the, did the Herald advertisement because I feel like they're in a weird thing where a lot of younger people want it, but do a lot of those younger people actually live in the areas where they can vote on it, right? And I feel like a lot of older people just see no bid contract Mel Reese and are going to vote no. So the key is going to kind of to be get the kind of to get the uh, maybe thirty to f- maybe fifty five year old crowd to kind of realize that don't necessarily like soccer, and that also can see that maybe there is something beneficial, but are kind of sketchy about the Mel Reese thing, and get them to kind of teeter totter on the situation. Um, my other question, like not to get too in depth into Miami politics, Matt, but do you think that the uh, the vote on the uh, uh, what was it, Jungle Island thing, is kind of uh, reflective of how this will go? Because that was another weird thing on on the uh, the most recent uh, what is it, the preliminary ballot? Yeah, the the primary. Uh, the yeah, primary vote. but it, primary it, it barely passed. But I feel like that was kind of like an indicator like on how close that was where it seemed like it would have gotten uh it would have passed with a way higher vote than it should have i would say that jungle island has always been its own unique kind of hell in miami politics (laughs) uh in terms of getting stuff done there in any way it's always been i mean everything's always difficult period but that especially has been difficult so i I wouldn't say that's necessarily a a a perfect indicator uh, especially when you would hope if you're a Miami FC I'm sorry a Miami MLS supporter um, that the lobbying uh, available to MLS will be a little bit more uh, forceful than the Jungle Island lobbying um, but it is worth saying and again not again, not to turn this into politics Twitter I mean politics podcast but when you have the Miami Dade Democratic Party uh, potentially considering a no recommendation on the ballot initiative, uh, as they did last month. Basically, uh, uh, Miami-Dade Dems uh, chairman uh, Juan Cuba had to kind of put down speculation that it was a done deal. But we we we, we have been made aware through our sources that it, it was definitely being bandied about as something to make official. Um, you know, going into this prime, going into this general election season, the the kind of energy behind the Democratic Party particularly in Miami-Dade County, if the Democratic Party comes out as an official no, um, you're trying to target young voters in order to get the uh, the energy here. But if those young voters who are likely going to support the Democratic Party get that recommendation, it could really kind of stymie the whole strategy altogether. We just got real nerdy. Yeah, I know. Uh, too, too much of a deep <laughs> dig. Too much of a deep dig. Uh, so again, uh, Crest, team name, uh, 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 Club Credo was shared. Uh, so lo- lots of content. Again, head over to magiccity.soccer for all that. A lot of you have. Thank you for visiting. Um, but if you haven't, be sure to get over there. Anything else to add on this? Again, we'll have a lot more to chew on related to MLS in the coming weeks. 
No, I don't. I don't. I don't really think so. I. I think that you know, it, it, it's it's going in the right direction, isn't it? It's, they're doing. They're making all the right moves, and they will. They will continue to do that. It, it does seem like they have. They have stopped uh, tripping over their own feet. Um, yes, definitely. And it, basically, our approach has been here. If they can just not trip over themselves, they'll get it over the line. Mm-hmm. And it does. It does appear that, especially in the last two months, three months, there have been the steps needed to to actually putting this into place, which has to be encouraging if you're a Miami MLS <laughs> fan. Finally, basically, I, I mean, we're talking about a decade here. Going back to Marcelo Calari's plan to bring in Barcelona a, as a partner to an MLS team before the recession hit in 2008. This has been a decade-long odyssey uh, of people trying to make this happen, and it does appear if, if it's not it's if it's not the beginning of the end, it's it's the end of the beginning. Um, so you've heard from us, but uh, as I said, Omar is not with us tonight, but he was able to uh, grab a couple of minutes this afternoon uh, and talk to the host of Pitch Invasion, Chris Whittingham. Chris joined us earlier this year. Uh, to talk about his podcast and talk about all matters of soccer, both inside Dade County and outside of Dade County. Um, but he was able to grab him today, you know, with everything happening with MLS. Um, we, we wanted to hear from Chris and his perspective on it. Um, so we'll come back and we'll, we'll talk about some other things going on around uh, Dade County, around these parts. Uh, but here's Omar and Chris. What a smooth transition. All right, Omar Mubayad here with Magic City Soccer. I missed him on the first time around when he came on the Magic City Soccer Podcast, but I'm happy to be having a chance to speak with him now. We're joined by popular South Florida landscape with regards to soccer, or figure, not landscape, I should say. Chris Whittingham, man, thank you so much for your time, and thanks for jumping on with us. No problem at all. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So we're here to talk about the big news of this week, which is definitely Kanye West's apology to Drake. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, (laughs) We're here to talk about, obviously, the official reveal of MLS Miami and, you know, the new logo that's come out, it's been official, even though it's been kind of circulated for the last couple of weeks, and the official team name and things of that nature. How does this affect the South Florida locker, uh, South Florida soccer landscape now moving forward? Yeah, I mean, obviously it's massive. I mean, it, it is as much as there are some people who have consternation about the designation of the federation and, and all that. It is the highest level of soccer in this country, and I feel like each step is a bigger step towards, obviously, it becoming real, right? I feel like I was watching, I happened to be watching ESPN FC last night, and they were talking about it, and they were basically, oh, but they don't have a stadium, and I feel like there is still going to be this skepticism about this team and whether or not they're going to play games. Like, I I get get jokes all the time, and I, I think that each thing that happens, obviously the biggest one is the vote in November, but each thing that happens is another step towards this becoming a reality. And for me, having Major League Soccer in Miami is absolutely huge because obviously Miami FC and Miami FC 2 exist and you guys cover the, the, the full breadth of the South Florida soccer scene, but these are really intense soccer fans that you're dealing with, whereas I think with MLS and it having big names and it being the biggest league in this country, you pull in a bigger sports fan, you pull in maybe a soccer fan who's a fan of other leagues but doesn't necessarily participate in local soccer. We want them participating in local soccer, and perhaps this is an avenue through which they can, but I think having the biggest league and the top league in this country finally establish themselves in Miami would be absolutely huge for this city. Yeah, absolutely. I think Miami kind of falls victim to, if it's not professional sports, it doesn't necessarily thrive. Not saying that it's not quality, but it doesn't necessarily thrive. And, you know, Miami does fall within the category of of kind of misleading 
the fact that Miami FC, which was, you know, within the NASL days, Division 2, it was still considered professional. But because it wasn't Division 1, a lot of people kind of view it within that baseball prism of it's not major league, it's minor. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And and I, I certainly encountered that. I will say, though, they did a really good job by the end uh, of, the, of that kind of two-year stint in NASL. They were drawing some good crowds in, and I think more people kind of got to know what the product was. And, you know, you had... You, you went from 1,000, 2,000 in the stands to 4,000, 5,000 in the stands. And I think you saw, a, you, you were going to see a continued growth with the Open Cup run, with the ridiculous investment from Ricardo Silva that it was going to make an imprint in this market if, if NASL had carried on. But I, I am kind of sort of curious as to where that leaves the South Florida soccer fan in terms of, like, I, I always got questions well, is that the Beckham team? Is that the same? Like, I right. think I think it's that lack of overall knowledge of the pyramid, and frankly, the pyramid being all over the place and relatively new as well. That there isn't really that brand association, and it only kind of gets further confused by the fact that a team was announced four and a half years ago, and now we just got a name, colors, and we still don't have a stadium yet. So I, I feel like there's been a fair amount of confusion in the marketplace, and that hasn't exactly helped clarify things for the soccer fan here. Yeah, no, absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. And I think um, sometimes I wonder if the skepticism is is justified in the sense that being that the initial announcement was four and a half years ago, and even before that first, you know, big meeting with Garber and Beckham holding a soccer ball and some MLS Miami scarves, you know, it was still talked about probably a couple years prior to that, too. And there's still going to be a lot of people that I believe, at least in my opinion, I wonder how you feel that until they see the ball being placed you know, in that center circle for the initial kickoff of the 2020 MLS season that they don't think it's going to happen. And I mean, I'm partly in that camp in the sense that until I see a mailer going out to my home address asking for a season ticket deposit, I'm still super skeptical about the whole project. (laughs) Uh, For me, if they get a vote through in November and then do the subsequent deal with the city, like, I think once I see a shovel in the ground, I'll be in. Right, because there really is no going back on MLS says you're starting in 2020. Uh, they announce a temporary venue once they start signing players, and once they get a shovel in the ground, like then it starts to feel real. And I understand I, I 100% the skepticism is earned because it's taken so long. There have been so many false starts. They themselves have said this was on the brink of dying until Jorge Mas came in. And so there is a healthy amount of skepticism. But there are going to be plenty of signs in the next year. I would say the name and the logo announcement is one of them. You know, they're, they're, commit, they're committed. They're invested. This isn't, you know, we're going to try. Like, I don't think Brand Beckham associates with failure and that was always my feeling all along as to why this would eventually happen is because I don't think David Beckham wants to associate with himself with a failing enterprise and so I think that now that they're committed they're invested Beckham was here they unveiled the whole thing and they have the murals up like yesterday was a sign of real and legitimate investment in making this work and getting awareness out and you just go and look at for example you know his Instagram page and his Instagram post of the uh, of the announcement yesterday, it's got over a million views, one point two two nine million views so on, on his Instagram. Like his outreach, his sort of spigot of interest and people, just sheer volume of people that will know about this each day. It comes with more and more kind of investment and reality that I think is going to eventually get people on board. I actually my my reaction to yesterday was. 
when they start their season ticket drive, I feel like we're going to be impressed with how many people sign up for this. Oh, I think it could very uh, I think it could very likely rival what we saw in Las Vegas with the Golden Knights. In the sense, that I'm you know I'm a huge hockey fan. I have season tickets to the Panthers for the last nine years or so, and so for me, that's kind of my other bread and butter. And seeing what Bill Foley and that organization was able to do in Las Vegas, I this could even surpass how quickly they were able to sell out their allotment uh, in terms of deposits here in Miami. Yeah, it's, I, I really do think that, you know, Atlanta is a model, LAFC is a model. They're, they're, it just seems like MLS, for whatever reason, because soccer is becoming cool, cooler in this country, because it's, it's becoming more of a consumer product, there just is that sense that it's really growing, and no matter where they do it, it's going to work. And I think they have a model now. They have a model now, and there just is something about a league that's growing and becoming more and has more and more interest that I think people are now jumping on board and seeing, okay, this looks cool, this looks fun, and for whatever reason, it's generated a, a, a huge level of interest, in my opinion. Now, perhaps I live in my own bubble being a soccer fan, being a Miami sports fan, then maybe I don't realize that there are a lot of people who don't care, but my, in my kind of world i think a lot of people if you said hey sign up for season tickets tomorrow there'd be you know 10,000 12,000 people ready to go and do oh, it oh yeah definitely and i think we saw a big emergence cuz i remember i think for me growing up i th- i believe we're roughly in the same age group i'm 27 turning 28 next month and i remember there being this seemed to be the shift away from you know madden you know whether it was xbox or playstation and over to fifa no and doubt. that almost seemed to be like this generational shift that essentially didn't necessarily make the NFL or, or the product of American football any less, but all of a sudden opened the doors and opened the gates to, you know, European football or, or soccer um, and bringing it to the forefront. No doubt. I think the FIFA game, social media, you'd have to say, because I, I was watching the other day. I don't know if you saw the goal from uh, City A from Qualiarera, oh, <laughs> which uh, I, I've been I've been trying to to to, to get my name, my, my sort of. Uh, my name pronunciation around it's a tough one but uh yeah it was just a ridiculous goal and uh, and and the and the sports center account tweeted because espn has the rights and in the comments it said like i like i don't watch soccer but this is amazing and i feel like <laughs> right. there i I feel, I feel like anything that is allowed the growing of an audience whether it is fifa the, it being more accessible on television frankly the world cup all these different things. Social media is a huge part of that. But this sport is now much more on the conscience of a lot more sports fans in this country. I think people interact with soccer much more on a day-to-day basis as a result of all these different forms of media than they used to 10 years ago. It's night and day. And I feel like as that continues to happen, there are just more people like, oh, I'm intrigued. Tell me more. And I've had a lot of people say, well, what do I do now that the World Cup is over? And the World Cup was, you know, a really cool event. And I'm sure you're around Miami kind of going to going to bars and going to places that the game was on. And I think all these things have helped the development and the growth of this sport, accessibility and, and all of that. And I feel like you're starting to see now more and more sports fans that have this sport on their mind and like cool I want to go I want to experience what Atlanta and Portland and Seattle and LAFC and Orlando and all these cool places that have really cool environments are creating yeah absolutely I mean Matt and I went to um, Mike Ryan's event at Jay Wakefield and to see a place like Jay Wakefield you know be full shoulder to shoulder standing capacity um, and I know you were there too yeah uh, for a soccer match you know granted yes even a World Cup semifinal was just awesome to see in a sense and obviously partially it was fans of the Dan Lebetard show 
um, and as well as, you know, having casual soccer interest as well. But still, that only goes to show the growth and the potential growth of the game moving forward, especially for, you know, on a commercial level here in South Florida. And, and one of the things and conversations that I think is being uh, discussed within the insider soccer circle here is that temporary venue. Yes, everybody wants to talk about the jersey and everybody wants to talk about, you know, what's the four, what, what are the three stripes of Adidas going to do with it and, and how's it going to look? But I think one of the conversations that I'm not hearing as often, but I am hearing, you know, occasionally is what will that temporary venue be? And, you know, you really only have two or three spots to choose from. And partially, I think, I think be, Moss already said it's down to two, which is a hard rock in Marlins Park. Yeah, I was going to say, because the only other third option would be FIU Stadium or Ricardo Silva Stadium. And, and granted, being Ricardo Silva Stadium's name on it and, you know, it being the former home of Miami FC and the NASL, that, you know, almost didn't seem like a non-starter to begin with. So between Marlins Park and Hard Rock Stadium, you kind of have to weigh the pros and cons of do you want distance and public transportation options or do you want quality of the stadium and quality of amenities? You know what I mean? For sure. And I, I feel like... That difference between what it'll end up being if Miami Freedom Park comes to pass and what it'll end up being at a temporary venue is massive. And I I hate the idea of playing in a baseball stadium. Uh, I was watching NYCFC last night, and you just kind of look at it and you go, the game is totally different there. Like, you can't even play a normal game because it's such a small pitch both in length and in width that it it just, it looks unrecognizable at times. And NYCFC are, you know, two passes away from any counterattack, and they were in again and again. They didn't score, but that was because of their wastefulness. But to me, Hard Rock Stadium is the only choice, but then you get down to the fact of its location and it's not really you know an area that you go to to hang out before and after games but it's a it's an area that a lot of people go to tailgate at and I think has now become a cool atmosphere and just for me the construction of the stadium the way that it looks it looks more like your typical Champions League venue than it does like an NFL stadium in my opinion so I think the look of it and obviously the fact that you're playing on a, on a good surface and it's basically not used for a majority of the MLS season on the beginning right. you you have the tennis tournament on the back end. You have the NFL and the college football season. But I think for those kind of four or five months in the middle, you basically have a venue to yourself. And I think it would be a really good venue. And you can start with some big matches. You bring Atlanta in. You bring Orlando in. And maybe by the time you're playing you know, a Wednesday night against New England Revolution, you've sort of built enough equity with your fans that you're going to get a good product every time out that people even show up for that. So I'm hoping that they go for Hard Rock Stadium because I think it is a, a, a soccer venue almost as much as it is a football venue, an American football venue. And I, I really do think that it can create cool atmosphere if there are a lot of people there. And I think for the first game, there will be. Like, I think if you play Orlando or Atlanta or LA or, or one of these big teams for the opening game at Hard Rock Stadium, you can get a lot of people through the door. And once you create that atmosphere, then you have something that I think a lot of people are going to want to come back to. Sometimes I feel like MLS uh, as a league tends to fall on the side of being risk averse uh, as more as to, to being you know more into taking a, a bigger gamble. If Miami's first opponent were to be, as an example, you know one of the teams you just mentioned, whether Atlanta or Orlando here. Where you I, have think, I think Orlando is the easy choice. It has to be. Well, right. But it, I mean, in terms of geographic, it makes perfect sense. But do you allow the Miami MLS team, or I guess in this case, we can actually name them right now, Inter-Miami. Inter-Miami, um, yes. <laughs> can you can you see a situation where MLS allows them to open the entire 
uh, seating capacity of HRS to host that initial game, much like they do sometimes for the Sounders. And, you know, in this case, obviously Atlanta does it regardless. But really kind of viewing that Sounders situation as, you know, fill the bowl or things of that nature. Um, you'd have to give it a go, right? I mean, you'd have to give it a chance because you know you've seen though that kind of big attendance for these big initial events where you know Orlando City don't necessarily when they're playing at the Citrus Bowl they weren't necessarily opening up the whole stadium for your regular match, but for that opener they almost filled the place for their home opener against NYCFC. Um, you've seen Atlanta kind of do a similar thing at Bobby Dodd Stadium at Georgia Tech where. You know, I think they were surprised by how much of the stadium they filled. You have to at least give it a shot, right? I, I don't think you can limit yourself uh, for that first game, how much you can sell. Hopefully the prices aren't so prohibitive and you can still get a decent crowd through the door. I think you can come pretty close to selling out if you gave Miami a really good opponent, a nationally televised game for that first weekend of the MLS season, or maybe, because I, I, I don't know the, 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 the timeline of the tennis tournament. Generally, the MLS season starts the first weekend of March, and I don't right. know when the Miami Open goes, but if you can't have that first weekend, then you can fill the place out, and I think it would be a really cool way to kick off, and I really do think that they can come close, if not actually sell out Hard Rock Stadium for their first game, because I think there's going to be real legitimate buzz. Obviously, there's a lot that has to happen between then to create that buzz, but if they get a high-profile manager in, high-profile signings in, they they commit the investment, and like LAFC, are ready to be one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference from the moment they step into the league, absolutely they can be one of the top contenders in, in, in MLS and, and are certainly a contender to sell that stadium out for the first time out. Now, I think the bigger question here really is, and with regards to building the team, Paul McDonough has been brought in as the general manager or the sporting director. Um, you know, terminologies go hand in hand, depending who you speak to. Um, who is the target, I think? Who would be the prevalent target here for uh, Inner Miami? And, and the reason I mention that is because will this city gravitate around a club? And not just the, the hard soccer supporter, but more along the casual fan. Will they rally around a signing like Joseph Martinez not based on production, but just at initial value in sure. terms of name ID? Um, I, I think it's a really good question. I, I do think that it depends on a lot of other factors. I think uh, w- with Atlanta, there was a fairly obvious commitment that Arthur Blank gave to Atlanta, that that organization gave to its supporters from day one, that we're going to be trying to win from day one. And I feel like that was their initial wave of fans was the combination of creating a really fun atmosphere, having a cool venue to go to, and the commitment from Arthur. Like, all those things came together and all the work that they did came together and it eventually led to them never drop. I don't think they've ever dropped below 40,000 fans for a game. And Atlanta is a similar market to what Miami is. I don't, I, I don't know if... You know, they were going to respond to Miguel Alamiron and, and Joseph Martinez and Hector Vialba and all these guys that they've, that they've brought in. Like, you wouldn't have anticipated that that would have created the response, but it did. And so I feel like there are, there's a lot more that goes into it beyond just the big name that they bring in or if they don't bring in a big, big name and they just bring in good players. Is, is that going to be enough? I don't know for sure, but I will say, though, I think you've seen this year with Zlatan and with Wayne Rooney that there is still the capacity for these players to come to the league, to give a crap, to do well, and change the fortunes of a team. So I'm not necessarily going to rule out that if they bring in a 33-year-old from some European club, that it's out of the realm of possibilities that they can help 
uh, they can help Inter Miami win games. So I think that there's room for both. I'm going to go ahead and say that they should go for one kind of a little bit past his prime superstar just to have a, a name and a face to put on a billboard. But I would prefer that those other two designated player slots go to young players, young South American players that can grow and develop here with this team and follow the Atlanta model that way. I think there's room for one. My personal favorite would be Radamel Falcao, who currently plays for Monaco and is a big star with, with Colombia, just played at the World Cup. And I feel like he will carry that obviously there's a massive Columbia market as we'll see with the game played at Hard Rock Stadium on Friday night. But I, I think that market can be tapped into with that signing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think really where that question comes from is I think there's a hangover uh, being that this process has been so long to kind of get off the ground and, and, and get running that you've heard the speculation time and time again. You've heard it with Ronaldo. You've heard it with Neymar. You've heard it with Messi. And you've had all these names, you know, whether truthful or not, they've been on a magazine, on a page six, or on a back page somewhere, linking kind of the two projects or the superstar and the project together. And a lot of people in this town, I feel like, have kind of swallowed that and said, okay, well, this is kind of the mindset. This is kind of the tunnel vision. You know, everybody's linking this player with the city. So... This is kind of what I should be expecting. And I agree with you completely. I think a player like Falcao, I think like a player like Luka Modric, who maybe has been teased kind of sort of uh, by the, the ownership group at some point without naming names. And at the same time, you know, I do look at the current model of MLS and with what Atlanta is doing and with what, uh, you know, a lot of the other clubs are really doing by bringing in the South American fusion and bringing in that talent. And honestly, you know, running rampant across the league with it. I think it makes perfect sense. I almost wonder in the case of Miami, bringing in a U.S. men's national team product, not because they draw necessarily here, because they don't, uh, but more along the lines of hometown guys like Josie Altador or even Alejandro Bedoya, how that kind of pushes the needle a little bit. Yeah, I think I think locality is obviously a massive part of this too, both in terms of bringing in players from countries that people here in Miami come from. So I, I and I don't think this necessarily just has to be done with designated players. I mean, you can bring Hondurans to the door. When Honduras plays here, there's a lot of people that go. Uh, if you know, obviously you can bring a good Haitian player, a Jamaican player. Like there's any number of different localities and nationalities that you can tap into. And then people from South Florida. You mentioned Josie. You mentioned. Alejandro Bedoya, uh, David Beckham has long talked about wanting to get the academy going and having an academy that is feeding players in the first team. I think that's a 10-year process. I don't think that's a one-year. I don't think that's – we start an academy, we have a player in the first team, go. Like, I don't think that ha- I don't think <laughs> right. that happens very much. Like, Atlanta has a player in it, Andrew Carlton, who, who came through – it kind of a setup it was mainly, you know, brought up through the youth system in Atlanta and has played every once in a while for them. But I don't think that's something until you're like FC Dallas, who, you know, have this ridiculous academy, invest in it, right. then bring players through. Or New York Red Bulls, who have an academy, are committed to it, have a USL team, and five years later, they've got Tyler Adams, who's ready to go to, to, to Europe already. I think that's a fairly slow process before you can get there. But local, local players and players from all over, not just South America, but the Caribbean and Central America, there's any number of options to get players through. Like, for example, you look at Peru, right? Peru had, you know, 40,000 people at Hard Rock Stadium. And if you bring in someone from the Peruvian national team, like Andy Polo plays for uh, Portland Timbers, uh, mm-hmm. Josue Coman plays... No, 
Trying Orlando, to I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I, I, he might be Paraguayan, though. Uh, but yeah, like there's there's any number of uh, it was no, it was Yoshi Yotun who plays for uh, who plays for Orlando, who who also plays for oh, the correct. Peruvian national team. So there there are any number of options of different kind of nationalities you can bring in to have here, and I feel like all those localities are going to be a massive part of this club. This club has to be local, but not just in terms of from Miami, but from its its population, from the people that live here that are going to be showing up to your games. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. I've, I've argued that time and time again, even beforehand with, you know, uh, Miami FC and the NASL, the importance of bringing in players that people can identify with uh, and this way giving them kind of giving them the ability to identify with that's my guy or, or these are mm-hmm. my guys sure. because my guy is on there. Um, how do you view I guess this is really the, the biggest question that a lot of people the more casual fan doesn't want to really discuss or doesn't know how to discuss, but the entrance of Miami now in, or MLS in the Miami market, how does that affect the rest of the South Florida soccer landscape? Is it a shot in the arm or is it the beginning of cannibalism in the sense of the other projects maybe not being able to survive? Yeah, it's an interesting question because I think you've seen in other areas where maybe local soccer doesn't necessarily thrive, but I, I don't know. I, I think these are... Kind of like for example, I I, I cover the USL because uh, a lot of their production is done out of South Florida, and I follow you know I, I've I've covered teams like for example Orange County, Orange mm-hmm. County SC is a USL club in Los Angeles, in Los Angeles served by two MLS clubs, and they're still they're devoted supporters to go and watch Orange County, who are kind of a legacy club in USL. They go and watch them play a few thousand a game. Like I I, I do think there's room for all of it, but obviously the 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 big dog the the big dog in town is going to be my is going to be inter miami but i i just i i don't know if you really necess- if there necessarily is an overlap between someone who would go to inter miami and is interested in soccer because of inter miami but then also would go to kendall fc would go to all the clubs that you guys cover at magic city soccer like i feel like there is a devout and devoted soccer community that already exists I don't know if you're necessarily getting too many people, too many more people under the tent without an investment like Ricardo Silva has made into Miami FC that he has spent money on trying to get people through the door and thus has gotten people through the door. I don't know if that community-based local soccer is going to thrive, uh, is going to grow significantly if there was an absence of an MLS, uh, of, of Inter-Miami, of MLS in Miami. So I, do, I think these are at the moment entities that you can say can be separated yeah no i've I've argued um that i believe a lot of these local you know whether they're usasa or mpsl sides you miami fc kind of being the exclusion of this conversation but arguing that they're kind of looking out or trying to align themselves with inter miami in hopes of maybe even being labeled as you know the da the developmental academy along kind of the way that orlando city uses um the sporting institute of uh, monteverde academy if i believe that's the way that's they're called the sima aguilas out of the pdl um and and kind of aligning themselves with being the not necessarily the main academy but more along the lines of being in a, a, essentially a developmental academy allowing allowing them to get resources from inter miami and having players sold to the you know to the big MLS club moving forward. Yeah, I think that's definitely a model. It's one that I don't think is necessarily mature yet in this country because again, I follow the USL and 
it's kind of interesting to me that you know I I, I talk with you know uh, we, we have a few European analysts who who work and and cover the league with us. They're like, so hold on a second. So if you have a successful team, then all your players get picked off and you don't get any money for it. Like I think that yeah. I, I think that concept of having players that you develop that you sign to long-term contracts that you then sell to bigger clubs is not yet really ready yet in in, in this country and I'm kind of wondering when it might be um, because I do think that the U.S. that's kind of the next step for the USL it's a I mean it's a league that's thinking about expansion and getting to more markets right now that it is necessarily about developing that portion of it but the, its economic viability is not in I mean obviously promotion relegation would do a big sort of number for it but if you can get let's say a young player on a long-term contract they play well and an MLS team wants them and is willing to plop down three hundred thousand dollars for it it's a nominal amount but given what you invested in a player that's a significant either recoupment or you know profit on that investment then I I do think that's where the development of the second division in the lower leagues is in this country is as you said an MLS club paying money for a player that a, a lower league club has produced and they want and can help them contribute and them sort of giving them a transfer fee that they can then reinvest in their team. That really is how lower leagues work around the world. And it's frankly something that MLS is now just learning, letting their players go when they get opportunities. You've seen, you know, Laurent Simon go from LAFC to Dijon in, in the French Ligue 1. You've seen... Um, Mauro Diaz go from FC Dallas to uh, to to a Middle Eastern club when he got a good offer. Like mm-hmm. you have to you have to give players. You become a more attractive league and you become a more attractive proposition when you promise and offer that ability to sell players and give yourself that path towards that next step. And if local clubs in Miami can offer that, then absolutely it would lead to a growth in local soccer. I'll let you out on this question here since uh, I do appreciate your time and, and obviously taking time out of your day to join us here on Magic City Soccer. If there was a candidate uh, to be named you know, head coach or manager of Inter-Miami as of this point, who could you imagine being the front runner? And obviously it has a lot to do with what Paul McDonough wants to do with building the tactics sure. and building the formation, things like that. But who would be the guys that you would think this ownership group would target first uh, and kind of giving them the first crack at... This, the expansion club? I, I don't know. It, it's a great question because for me, finding finding out where that kind of intersection is between play, co- coaches that you think would want to do it versus coaches that are available. Like, I don't know where that middle ground is. So, like, I don't know. You, I don't think you can go to a major European club and say, hey, leave what you're doing now and come and join us over here. Like, I think maybe you might get someone towards the tail end. Like, for example, obviously it's a bad example now because he's lost his first four games, but a manager like Manuel Pellegrini, who has experience in an English-speaking country and, you know, is maybe towards the end of his European managerial career and certainly has the play because one of the things that we did hear from Paul McDonough in his uh, Miami Herald interview was obviously attacking style will be at the forefront and maybe you get a more attacking European manager. But uh, within Major League Soccer, maybe this is a job for Caleb Porter. 
Right. Caleb Porter is someone who is out of a job right now, but has has won MLS Cup with Portland, and I think is looking for that next big project. I would not be surprised if Caleb Porter is 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 among that conversation. But I mean, if Atlanta can go get, can go and get Tata Martino, I don't think if if we were doing this show an hour and a half, a year and a half before Atlanta started, and say, hey, who can some potential managers be? I don't think anyone would have said that Tata Martino was even a reasonable possibility. So I feel like that manager market is deep and vast. And right. I, I don't know sort of what if if maybe because of David Beckham's connections to England that uh, uh, one of the Neville brothers or uh, or even David Moyes would be up for consideration. Like, I, I don't know what the possible, you know, realm of candidates is for this club. So I'm really fascinated to see how that search goes because I really think it can, it can come from about anywhere. As a United supporter, I'll throw you the olive branch and say anybody but Mourinho probably a decent guy, right? <laughs> I mean, Mourinho <laughs> might be available, though. Get him oh, in. God help us. <laughs> Chris, thank you so, so much for your time. I really appreciate it, man. Tell the people where they can find you at. Yeah, so uh, check out the podcast, which is Pitch Invasion. Search it wherever you're getting, wherever you're listening to this podcast. Uh, search for Pitch Invasion and check us out. Uh, the Five Reasons Sports Network. We're doing a lot of good stuff. Follow us on Twitter at Pitch Invasion 5R and at Five Reasons Sports. So uh, thanks for having me on your show and uh, glad to be on Magic City, so- Magic City Soccer again. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you again for your time. And guys, if you haven't had a chance, Five Reasons Sports Network just put out their 100th episode with Dan Lebetard, which was a fantastic, fantastic, fantastic listen. Thank you very uh, much. A way to spend an hour. I really thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, that, yeah, it was really good, and uh, I, I thank Dan for his time. And I, it, it is definitely something that I think if you're into what his show does or and anything about Miami sports, because there was uh, we really covered the gamut. Uh, that, uh, that that you should check that out. Thanks again, Chris. Appreciate it. All right, that was brilliant. All right, so again, that was uh, Omar and Chris. Thank you to Chris Whittingham for uh, stopping in with Omar and, and discussing that. Uh, again, his podcast, uh, Pitch Invasion. Uh, Chris loves soccer. He's been one of the more vocal supporters of soccer in Miami media over the last, you know, five, six years. Uh, check that out. You know, we, we, we joked when he came on uh, earlier this year that we were going to be, you know, anchorman-like rivals uh, facing off in a back alley somewhere with tridents and grenades. But uh, in reality, there there's no reason why you can't subscribe to both and check us both out. So do check that out. Uh, let's transition away from MLS now, uh, and let's talk about uh, actual games being played. Uh, Hard Rock Stadium, as you're listening to this, on uh, September 7th when we drop this episode, Colombia and Venezuela will be facing off in, in a heated regional rivalry uh, to... to big South Florida names in terms of uh, the community down here. Two of the largest immigrant populations in South Florida are uh, from Colombia and Venezuela. And so that should definitely be a scene at Hard Rock uh, at kickoff. Um, Colombia obviously would most likely be your favorite in the books, um, but it will be interesting to see the environment, the atmosphere that we get at the stadium tomorrow night. Uh, Lee, as you you casually mentioned uh, a second ago, uh, off air, but it's too good. We have to bring it to life, bring it to the public. Uh, this is a wifelry. Yeah. The uh, wifelry. <laughs> this, uh, my, 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 again, Lee Eifens should be a professional poet, in my opinion, because that was just perfect. Uh, my wife is Colombian. First of all, you have to say it like Borat. Oh, my wife is Colombian. Yes, of course. That is the podcast uh, my, my, code. My wife is from the Venezuela. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's that's definitely going to going to we're going to be at a real knife's edge tomorrow when that game kicks off. But uh, talking about the football on the field and talking about the atmosphere at the stadium tomorrow, what are you guys looking forward to from that game? 
Well, I think it will be an interesting one. I think obviously you would favour Colombia in a game like this. Um, interesting factor is this Joseph Mart Martinez guy, though, isn't it? Because it's yes. a bit of a, it could be a bit of a shop window for him. I mean, you know, he he is this sort of like stellar player in the uh, in Major League Soccer, and he's been to Europe. Didn't work out for him once, you know. So he's got the chance, you know, to to ruffle a few feathers out there. They've got players like. Uh, Salomon Rondon as well, a couple of other, couple of other good players. So you never know. It's a friendly. Friendlies are always difficult to predict. You don't know what sort of team there is, and um, don't know if you want to wrap up Colombia, Matt. But they're, they're missing a couple of players, right? Uh, yes, I, I think there there are two big storylines from the Colombian perspective uh, in terms of that game tomorrow. Uh, the the first is. Uh, well, no, well, I, I think the, the the least important one is the lineup. Whatever lineup comes out. Uh, you, you would still figure that Colombia would be favored, although there will be no James Rodriguez. But honestly, I think the, the, the biggest news and, and the biggest thing to keep an eye on is the first game of the post-Jose Peckerman era. Um, Ooh, Peckerman stepping yeah. back from the Colombian national team the first time in, in six years, I believe, more than six years, that um, a Colombian side will take the field without him as manager. Again, you wouldn't expect the whole thing to fall apart or anything like that, but it, it will just be an unusual sight um, he, he has been linked potentially with Argentina, uh, his, his native country. Um, there are other openings available in this part of the world. I'm not going to speculate Peckerman to USMNT. Um, I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> but, um, but, I mean, I, I do think the man kind of has his pick of the litter in terms of what jobs he wants to take. Um, and I do think that this Colombian side, it will be very important for the Colombian Federation to find a capable replacement someone to step into those shoes he delivered this national team its greatest successes uh even i would say even beyond the golden age of the 1990s i would say maybe you had more big names on those 90s teams but when you thought of those teams you thought of disappointment that they could have been more and didn't this colombian side it, it, it was what you expected which maybe is damning with faint praise that it you know it, it wasn't going to win the world cup but it was a damn good team with damn good players and they got into the group stages and they were involved in big games and, and yeah, I, I, I do think that where the team goes from there, um, to me, that's, that's what's going, that's what I'm going to have my eye on both tomorrow night and, or, you know, recording on Thursday night in case you can't tell, both tomorrow night and going forward. Yeah, I think that's, that, that's great. I never thought about that, that, uh, that Peckerman angle. I mean, it's, that'd be an interesting transition. I'm looking at Venezuela's form right now, and they've only actually lost one out of their last seven games. Um, so, you know, and that includes games against Uruguay, Argentina, a qualifier against Colombia that ended nil-nil. Um, so they've, they've turned a little bit of a corner because like in 2016, 2017, they were losing games left, right and centre. They seem to have tightened it up a little bit. Actually, looking at this, this could be quite a good game. It might be quite <laughs> a good game. Yeah, I do think, I, I think it has the possibility of, of being... Um, you know, closer than you imagine. They're going to be, Venezuela's going to get a good crowd out there, as well as the Colombians. It's going to be an interesting atmosphere, and I think that could potentially uh, motivate and push both these sides, I think, to better performances than you might imagine. You know, it's just, just a friendly, quote-unquote. But, you know, that again, that regional rivalry and the fact that it's going to be a, a good crowd uh, for both teams. It's, it, it's, it's I, I, I would predict it's not going to really be a home game for either side. It's going to be kind of like a like a college football type showdown where you got like the teams divided down the fifty yard line, and you know you've got 
split to either side. I think I think you're going to see something like that. It's going to be real loud, real boisterous, and both sides are, are, are going to get something to pull from from the crowd. Yeah, I think the crowd the crowd will be important, and um, you know he's done a good job up there, Stephen Ross, of keeping that stadium ticking over with events. Um, but yeah, I think I think we'll see a fair crowd. I think it's probably going to be a bigger draw than the International Champions Cup was. I mean. At the end of the day, all these games are friendlies, but you, you're talking about Colombia versus Venezuela in Miami. Should be good atmosphere. I would also say, uh, again, not to bring MLS back into this conversation, but just really quick, there is an under uh, a potential underbelly to these these friendlies coming up, both this game and, and the, the Chile match next month. I believe that's Chile-Peru. Um, in those two games, there is a Friday soccer match, a Saturday Miami Hurricanes football game, and a Sunday Dolphins game. Mm. And so the grounds crew at that stadium is going to be working their tails off. Now, um, the uh, – uh, oh, gosh, I forget his name. I'll uh, I'll pull his name in a second. But basically the, the president of operations for the Dolphins, not the general manager, but the, the CEO um, – came out on Twitter and basically said, there's nothing to worry about. We've done this before. We know how to like swatch, sw- switch saw it out and make the, the changes. But if Tom that Garfinkel. Grass, Garfinkel, that's it. I wanted to say Fink, Fink, like, I want to say Finkel something. I couldn't put <laughs> it. Got an Garfinkel. Finkel is Einhorn. <laughs> yes. I, I want to call him Tom Finkel. I'm like, no, Finkel's from uh, uh, Ace Ventura. God, Ace Ventura. I can't think of anything. My brain is shutting off. Anyway. <laughs> um, but yeah, so... If that stadium on on its opening day, if that grass looks like crap, there I'm I'm not joking here. There will be an anti-soccer move among Ooh. the non-soccer voters of Miami-Dade County uh, to blame the soccer match for it because they're not going to blame the Hurricanes because they're baked in. It 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 is. If I'm David Beckham, Jorge Mas, the MLS ownership, I'm reaching out to Stephen Ross and sliding him a couple bucks underneath the table somewhere to make sure that whoever the best groundskeepers are that are available outside of Miami to get fly them in and make sure that people Willie. Yes. Get groundskeeper <laughs> Willie out of Springfield. <laughs> oh, bring his gonna... ass over here. <laughs> I was going to say Paul Daglish. <laughs> and, and That's make racist. sure that then and make sure that that field is pristine for Sunday. Yeah. Cause yeah. It, it, it will turn. I'm telling you, cause there's already people on Twitter you know, not that Twitter is the sample of the community, but it, there are people waiting to blame soccer for a crappy field on Sunday. And it would be imperative uh, on the soccer interests of Miami-Dade County, and Stephen Ross is included in that as part of relevant sports, to make sure that field looks good. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that angle, but yeah, you're absolutely right. And it's not an easy thing to do. Not an no, easy thing to not. do at all. No. To, to completely sidetrack this way the fuck off, have you guys ever seen the Cosmos documentary Once in a Lifetime? No. Fuck the Cosmos. I have not, no. <laughs> so, <laughs> to, basically, real quick, at one point in time, when Pele first comes to the Cosmos, they had to spray paint the field green. Oh, you told pitch, me about this before. Oh, yeah, yes, the I pitch, it was like this. 77. The pitch was so fucked up. And a, like appeased Pele, they spray painted like the box and everything green, and then like everybody's wow. just fucking kits were covered in green shit. And I'm like, oh, that's that's what they need to do. <laughs> <laughs> that's simple. <laughs> yeah, just paint everything green. That's funny. Um, yeah, so hopefully the field holds up. You're you're praying for no rain because that'll just make everything worse. You want clear skies, um, as not as as dry as possible. 
and basically just to get through the weekend with clean grass. Um, that will be the hope. Um, Columbia, Venezuela, again, kicking off from Hard Rock Stadium. That'll be on Friday, September 7th. Again, that's probably today as you're listening to it. Uh, tickets still available on Ticketmaster, StubHub. I think there's even a Groupon deal if you're interested in that kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, get out there. Again, it's local soccer. There's some big names. Um, no no James, but there should be some big names on the on the Colombian side. And like you said, in terms of uh, the Venezuelan side, Joseph Martinez has lit Major League Soccer on fire. <laughs> I mean, the way he scores goals kind of is beyond belief. I wouldn't be surprised if there are some Atlanta United supporters might make the trek down to see that game, uh, to see their their main man uh, facing off against some some big names. Um, so speaking of uh, Hard Rock Stadium, and speaking of big names in international soccer, La Liga North America is coming, maybe, possibly, potentially. And if a game comes, if it is all confirmed that games will come in the first place this season, it would appear that Miami is first in line. Um, that was the news out of uh, the the Catalonian, the, the Catalonian uh, newspapers uh, a few days ago. Again, we have that on Magic City Soccer if you want some more details. Uh, Les Sportu, I'm sure I'm butchering that, um, reporting that Barcelona and Girona FC uh, will be heading to Hard Rock Stadium in January for the first La Liga North American match. What's really interesting about this is, one, the blowback that uh, La Liga has faced on this idea. Basically, every captain of uh, first division teams protesting it and, and making publicly known they don't want to participate. Uh, the fact that the uh, president of FIFA, uh, Gianni Infantino, uh, said on the record with Brian Strauss of the Washington Post that he's not necessarily a fan of this idea. He would rather see a great MLS game than uh, you know a, a game between two Spanish sides in the United States. Uh, and if that game does need FIFA sanctioning in order to happen, uh, there are still a lot of hurdles to clear, but it does appear as though these teams are pushing forward uh, full steam ahead. Uh, it will be a Hirona home game, quote-unquote, and because of that, they're basically paying for thousands of their fans to fly to Miami, get a ticket for the game, and fly back all in one fell swoop on the dime of the club, not on the dime of the players. If you have a season ticket... For Hirona, basically, you can fly to Miami for free and watch this game. Uh, it's pretty wild, but it also goes to show how much money and how much uh, growth potential La Liga and the clubs believe uh, this game in Miami and this these games in North America have. Uh, so, gentlemen, I'll open it up to you. What, what do you think about this development? Uh, I, 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 uh, no, go on. Go on. Go, go ahead, Drew. Okay. Go ahead. Go on. I, I think it's interesting. I mean, I, I like that La Liga is doing it, and despite the fact that everybody's protesting it and I understand the protests, it's probably good on their end for the sport. But for American soccer, I feel like it's a terrible idea. And I don't, I, I just feel like at some point in time, like MLS Miami fans where they were like, yeah, um, uh, whatever Guinness cup, ICC, look how many people we got in attendance for this. It's, I feel like at some point it's going to justify, and especially if it continues, on not going to MLS games, and especially in a city like Miami. Like, obviously, we were Miami was the best choice to have this game, but here's always the thing where it, it, everything in soccer is snobbery, right? It's like, I watch La Liga, haha, I don't watch MLS, and MLS fans are, haha, I watch whatever, European soccer and MLS, I won't watch NASL. So at some point in time, it's just going to come down to, you know, do you want to buy MLS Miami tickets or would you rather just spend 
$300 and get, like, amazing tickets to see Barcelona, Real Madrid, and Miami. Mm. And I, I feel like that's what it's going to come down to eventually. It is a good thing, but just based off how American soccer works and the American soccer fandom, I see this long-term becoming a huge problem. Yeah, I think I, I, I would agree with that. I think I think one of the main problems is, you know, these one-off games are, like, so bad. And it really highlights how many like fair weather fans will only go to games in this part of the world in perfect conditions if certain teams are playing. The whole idea, I think, is absolutely disgusting. I think it's terrible. It's, it's a cynical move. I understand why La Liga are doing it, because they're so far behind the Premier League, the Bundesliga and Serie A in terms of um, viewing the league, interest in the league. Those two mega teams paper over the cracks the fact that really... La Liga is not that popular. And I, they, they keep trying things to try and change that. But even if you look at the attendances in the stadium, more people go to games in the English Championship than go to games in the Spanish La Liga. And so I guess the thinking is, you know, let's take this game to somewhere where, you know, we'll sell it out because and the, the, they'll create interest around it. And I guess there is no such thing as bad publicity. So if they can push it through, they're going to do it. I can't understand why any soccer fan in their right mind at any level, die hard, you know, casual, you know, your passing interest would go to that game. It would be a terrible atmosphere and it's a cynical, cynical move. And I hope that it's a complete failure if it does happen. So I, I guess I will be the, the, the defender of the idea here. I, I, I will say that I generally think it's not um, it's definitely not good for American f- soccer. It, it, it's good for American soccer fans of Spanish soccer. It's great for them, um, but it's it's not good for the American game because again, yeah, you're you're this isn't uh, the NFL bringing uh, two teams over to play in England, where that is clearly you're trying to grow the sport there, and and you have an audience that is built in there, and they are not getting the, anywhere near the quality of the game that they would want to see. It's it's you're you're desperately reaching out to those folks to say, hey guys, we haven't forgotten about you. This is not that. This is La Liga, as you said, Lee. La Liga is as a league is a bit of a paper tiger. Um, it, it has the two big clubs mm-hmm. at the top. Uh, you know, you have Atletico and and Seville has some success, but beyond that, it towards when you reach the the basically the bottom two thirds of the table, it's dire. And you see that when you when you see Barcelona's and Reals playing those teams, uh, it, it is way out of whack. And the success of Barcelona and Real over the last decade has kind of masked over that. And so this is clearly a, a way on the part of the league to try to inject additional revenue into those lower tier clubs where they're they're basically, you know, we, we mock it when it happened in the U.S. Open Cup where teams were able to sell their home games uh, basically to, to a, a bigger MLS side to try to make some revenue out of that. That's basically what's happening here is these smaller clubs are, are kind of quote-unquote, selling their home games, taking a game away from their home ground in order to get that injection of revenue. Hirona Stadium, uh, there were some pictures shared on Twitter. It's it's pretty ghastly. Uh, it, it, it is not any anywhere near, you, you know, if it were an American venue, it'd be the worst, American, the worst venue in American soccer. Um, it, it's kind of falling apart. And so the, the fact that this is done, if I'm La Liga, of course, why not? You know what I mean? It, it's 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 kind of free money. If you're the clubs, it, it's it's a bit of a devil's bargain. 
um, where you're having to make an unfortunate choice. Uh, if you're relevant sports, and that's I think is the most interesting angle here, is their choice because I don't know if this is a great idea for them, and I'll tell you why. Because you may think, well, what are you, an idiot? They're getting actual La Liga games. Yes, they're getting La Liga games, but how many? And the, the next question is, how is that going to impact the International Champions Cup? Because for years, the argument with those friendlies is like, yeah, this is the best you're going to get. These are big-name clubs in, in this kind of semi-competitive tournament. That's not actually competitive, but they're, they've been generally been getting better at getting those big names over here, at least for a little bit, uh, minus Cristiano Ronaldo. Um that really undercuts your argument as to why you should go to those games. Why should I go to a Barcelona friendly if Barcelona is going to come for a real life match? Um, it, 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 to me, I, I feel like they may be robbing Peter to pay Paul here. They may be kind of hurting something that is a real has been not only stable has been growing for them to to get to jump in with this La Liga branding. And I'm sure that you know they know more than I do, but I do feel like the the big loser here is the International Champions Cup. Yeah, I think that's that's a very good point. I mean, you you immediately de- devalue those games because these people are going to be like, I'm not going to go and pay to see Barcelona play a game against a team from another country when I can wait for this like real game to 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 roll around and you know and and pay and go and see that and it means something. It's uh, yeah, I think for 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 American soccer interest, it's it's a bad deal. But in in terms of like soccer and you know the purity of the sport, it's a terrible thing as well. Yeah, I think we saw the blowback with the 39th step that the Premier League was planning uh, a decade ago now. Uh, and, and the way that that failed so spectacularly, you kind of thought that maybe this idea was dead and buried. But um, La Liga is trying to reinvent it. And if it's successful and if it works out, you, you will start to see other leagues exploring it. Maybe not the Premier League because, again, the ghosts are there. But if you're the French League... Or Italy, there uh, the the Italian league, the, you know, the Serie A has has tried spectacularly over the last two years to try to to grab the spotlight back from Spain, um, because generally you do have higher quality teams there, but you're not you're not getting the kind of prestige that Italian football has always had, um, and so may, maybe they explored. I don't know. Um, they've already explored, you know, moving uh, kind of those uh, beginning of the year uh, tournaments. Uh, elsewhere, uh, moving a real game there is not really that far of a bridge, um, so we'll see. But I, I would say that Miami, as a whole, is obviously a benefactor because Miami is going to be on the the top tier of venues for these games. But yeah, it, it's it's not the best news for MLS. It's not the best news for American soccer. Um, if you're a fan of these teams, if you're a fan of a team in La Liga and you're a real supporter, it's Christmas. But beyond that, there there are a lot of downsides too. Yeah, and I think, you know, until quite recently, I think pretty much all the money in football in Spain, in club football, went to Real and Barca. And it was very, very hard for some of the other teams. And when you look at some of the stadiums, like, they're, they're dilapidated. There's no other word for it. I mean, yeah. I think it was it was in the news recently. I think it was um, Celta Vigo or Celta Vigo, however you say it. They're, they're, they have to close part of the stadium. It's, it's, it's literally falling to pieces. And those teams must be looking at teams in the Premier League like, you know, Brighton and Hove Albion, who were in the, probably in the same situation like 30 years ago, homeless, stadium falling apart, had to sell it, you know, and now they're playing in like these brand new stadiums, you know, bottom half of the Premier League, top half of the Championship, arguably even in League One, you know, have facilities that some of these the league teams can't dream of. 
because they don't they, they don't get the money and they're thinking well if we're going to get this massive paycheck for playing this one game yeah people will be mad about it for a few weeks then everyone will forget about it and we've got this you know we've got this bank balance to like to, to try and make some inroads into the top of the table so you know it sometimes needs us as the devil drives yeah, I think that's ultimately the, the the need is what's going to make this happen. It's it's what will prevent a Premier League from from throwing their weight behind a similar proposal because they don't need to. No, they uh, don't. You know, gre- greed is a tremendous motivator, but at some point, especially for the, at least the next few years, uh, th- those lower tier clubs are not going to be pushing for that kind of revenue injection because they're they're Scrooge McDucking it right now. They're swimming in <laughs> swimming pools full of gold coins. Uh, they they don't need it. So. But yeah, it, it definitely is interesting. It's definitely worth monitoring over the next couple of weeks how that develops. Will there be other games this season? Will the the players, uh, you know, union uh, over there, the the step in? Will FIFA step in, or will this get carried out? It's it's interesting to see. Um, so uh, let's bring it back domestically. Still USA, focusing on Miami, of course. USA. 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 <laughs> um, U.S. Open Cup. It's. Both still going on, and we're getting ready for next year's. <laughs> the we're most amazing cup ever. <laughs> yes, this is the cup that doesn't end. Yes, it goes on and on, my friends. Um, yeah, so the the draw happened. The 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 entry level draws happened. Uh, Drew, your of course, your eyes were closely glued uh, to that to see where some of our beloved lower level sides. Uh, we'll filter in, and, and we got a, a bit of a slobber knocker in that first qualifying game. Yeah, I, I, it was kind of a crazy draw, and I was surprised uh, more, more South Florida teams uh, didn't uh, participate this year, especially because I think it was the, the league kind of gave the incentive to join the open qualifiers with a $1,000 refundable bonus. Um, but yeah, th- th- this year, uh, four, four South Florida teams in the open qualifiers. I feel like last year there was a lot more, but, um, what happens is the two UPSL teams face each other off and the two APSL teams face each other off. So, um, yeah, I, open qualifiers <laughs> drama right off the bat. I, I love this cup. <laughs> uh, yeah. I- yeah. Go ahead, Lee. Go ahead. Yeah, um, I I think that it's it's kind of interesting though because you know obviously Red Force and Kendall you know that they're the leading lights in in many ways of the APSL. They play off when it goes through, and then I, I sort of taken a passing interest in the UPSL because there's no other soccer to watch at the moment, and uh, Florida Soccer Soldiers, which is a terrible name if we're talking about terrible <laughs> names in South Florida, but they are a really good soccer team. And, you know, they blew through the, 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 the region and they went to the playoffs in the spring season. And they're playing against Miami Sun. Now, they are actually quite new, but building something pretty good with what they're doing. And so you've got the UPSL teams playing each other. And then you've got, they're going to get drawn together. I mean, it's, I don't know if it's fixed or if it's going to happen that way anyway. But then you've got that UPSL versus APSL playoff. And, you know, in terms of minor league soccer here that could be that could be that could be pretty tasty there could be a little bit there could be some chips on the line for that one yeah i mean you're you're talking about like not only the 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 advancement in the open cup which is obviously a big deal but yeah the bragging rights yeah you're you're having the you know the the conversations we have and and i'll duck my head because i i I know plenty of people want to storm in and talk about this but that idea of open 
open competition, open levels, teams competing with one another. You know, it's not quite pro rel, but you're 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 having these kind of to borrow from the college football world intersectional matchups. Um, that's what makes the Open Cup so great, and to see it so early, you're you're going to have a lot on the line, not only for the teams involved, but for the leagues involved. Yeah, but yeah, definitely. My my only thing is I'm. <laughs> I'm already taking a side, and I, I will let the UPSL uh, prove me wrong, but I, th- I think uh, in the article that I put out on Magic City Soccer maybe a week ago that uh, last time, I think it was uh, Kendall beat Lou Black's 11-0, and Red Force beat FC Ginga 8-1. So <laughs> from, from both the UPSL teams uh, in the last uh, local qualifiers playing APSL teams, it was a 19 to one goal differential in the in the two combined. So, um, I mean, I, I, I'd I'd like to see the UPSL, and I'd hope I hope they're developing. But uh, in my mind, I'm just like balls in your court, man. <laughs> I think they, I do think I think the APSL just of, runs over of, them. There's been a lot of chit chat from that side. I, I I would hope that they are. They are ready to step up and, and see that level of competition. I, I, I think, again, you normally wouldn't keep an eye on those those lower-level qualifying games with such attention, but I, I do think there's, there's, there's some juice in those games. There's some real juice. Yeah, definitely, because I think the UPSL has sort of grown very quickly, and there's been a lot of migration of teams from the APSL to, to the, 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 the Florida region in the, in the UPSL. And I think the UPSL teams will be wanting to, exactly on the point that Drew just said, the UPSL teams will be showing that they want to show they're moving in the right direction. So they they will be up for playing whoever wins that Red Force FC Kendall game. And you know, Florida Soccer Soldiers. I mean, I I mean, I know we're going to talk about this later on, but I'm going to go and check them out at the weekend. I mean, I want to go and see how good they actually are because there's such a variance of quality in that UPSL division from, you know, glorified rec to like decent semi-pro teams. So it's, it's, it's kind of hard to know how good they really are until they play that game. So uh, it's, it's going to be an interesting, it's going to be an interesting matchup if those two, if those two leagues meet up on the field. I definitely think the thing that comes to mind with, with uh, those teams facing awfully uh, when they do uh, to borrow from uh a fond memory of Drew's, uh, although he wasn't alive for it, uh, the kind of AFL-NFL face-offs in the Super Bowl, in Super Bowl one and two, where the, the big bad NFL teams would come on and slap the AFL teams down. And then finally in Super Bowl three, Joe Namath, New York Jets, talking a big game, we're going to beat them, we're going to upset them, we're going to shock the world, and then they do it. Um, will this be a Super Bowl three type moment for uh, the, for that league? Or will the big, big bad APSL still kind of come in and assert dominance here uh, and, and let everyone know who, who's running the show when it comes to, to that level of soccer here in South Florida? Yeah, definitely. I wish I had some poetry lined up for after that, but it's getting late and my brain is starting to slow down. Um, but, <laughs> but yeah, we have to, we'll have to, if that game happens, we have to come up with some sort of title or thing for it. I'm sure there's someone out there that will help us. But yeah, it's um, fascinating. The battle of the PSLs, the pumpkin spice lattes. <laughs> oh man! All right, it's it's getting late early. Uh, let's, let's, Starbucks let's, reference. Let's, about, let's close this. Let's yeah, close this podcast out. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, any, any more business to attend to, gentlemen, before we uh, call it a night? Uh, 
so yeah, just off the back of that, if anyone wants to go and check out that UPSL action, there's actually t- t- three games on the same day because they all play at that Ives Estates Park, aka the Orange Bowl field, up um, roundabouts Aventura on the line between where Dade meets the county to the north. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think the Florida Soccer Soldiers, they're playing a team called Hebraica, Miami Hebraica, which I think in Spanish means Hebrew, so Miami Hebrew. So I don't know, will there be hot dogs, won't there? I'm excited to find out. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's, no, there's no other soccer to go and watch, so why not go and check out some UPSL? I'm kind of fascinated. I'm not sure what we're in for. Um, but yeah, if you, if you absolutely have to watch live soccer this weekend, then join me Sunday. 1.30 p.m. at the Orange Ball Field at Iowa State's Park on the line between Dade County and Broward County. Yes, I believe you would know Iowa State's best as the, that is the former home of the Miami Fusion of the NPSL, correct? Am I right there, Drew? Oh, I don't know. They played at like four different places, but uh, yeah, I yes. think they played there I, for, a, for a hot minute. Yes, I think that was, I think that was where the famous Miami Fusion, Miami United, uh, uh, fan fiasco happened. Uh, well, I think it, you're right. Yeah, I think it, you're absolutely right. The game to be yeah, replayed. I, yes. Oh, that, so now it, I'm going to go on. I'm going to wear my Fusion jersey. There you go. <laughs> RIP. Um, yeah, that is the stadium where you can basically spit and hit Broward County, but it still is in Dade. It counts. Um, so, yeah, you're going to want to check out that one. Again, you've got Columbia, Venezuela. Um, the, another friendly coming up next month um, at Hard Rock. There's always stuff happening, always wheels in motion down here. Um, so yeah, let's, let's, let's wrap up again. As always, we'll direct you, uh, to visit magiccity.soccer. You can follow us on social media at Magic City Soccer, uh, Facebook, Magic City Soccer there on Instagram. It is Magic City Sock, S-O-C. Uh, we do want to thank Chris Whittingham, uh, for his time on the show this evening. Also Omar Mubayad, obviously, but he's one of us, so he doesn't get a thank you. Just keep doing your job, buddy. Um, Lee, where can folks find you on the social medias? Oh God, I can never remember. It's on Twitter. It's Lee underscore Evans, I F A N S. You can follow all the things I tweet there about um, Welsh and U.S. soccer, if that's your thing. Yes, it's it's good <laughs> content, especially when mix. a little bit of F one in there as well. That's my second favorite sport. There we have it. Yes, there's some there's some quality gift work. Yeah. You want to see some <laughs> gifts of uh, Ryan Giggs? Uh, that that's that's your home. Uh, uh, Drew, where can people find you? Uh, my Twitter is at the real Alex Jones. Uh, I should be back soon. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's funny. Yeah, they're, they're trying to keep you down. You're just trying to spread your message of soccer, and the people don't want to hear it. I got the okay? documents. I got the documents. <laughs> so. <laughs> I'll never look at you the same way again, mate. <laughs> Drew right now in his home shirtless, just just thick, just barrel-chested and sweating like you wouldn't believe. Drinking bourbon um, draped in a Texas flag, growing a beard, baby. <laughs> yes. Um, so it's Houseman, LOL. That's where you can find him. Um, also, also check out the other one, I guess. But but it's Houseman, LOL is where you find Drew's soccer takes. Um, the other ones where you find his weird conspiracy theories about everything. Um, I'm at Matthew S. Bunch, M-A-T-T-H-E-W-S-B-U-N-C-H. Uh, you can find me there for general soccer stuff and other stuff. Um, I think that's it. Enough talk about social media. God, I sound like a like a like a influencer an advertiser. Yeah, I'm I'm a social media influencer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so please, I'm please a public visit. figure. Do you go <laughs> put public figure on your profile now? Yes, I might do that, Lee. I might just do that. So CEO anyway, of my own damn up. company. <laughs> <laughs>
Um, Lee, Drew, thank you very much. Um, again, let's bring this thing in for a landing. Until next time, uh, go Miami FC. Go for the first time, uh, Inter Miami CF. Uh, no CF into Miami. Get it right. What, wait, what did I say? Isn't it, I thought the, I thought the club football came before it. Now, did it or not? No, but when it shortened, it's Inter Miami CF. That's that's the handle they're using on social media. Okay, I can um, have to. You have to have an entire crib sheet to just say the name of the frigging team. Yes, we're getting <laughs> settled in. Okay, we're still all just getting settled in with this. So take two. Uh, go, go Miami FC, go Inter Miami CF, uh, go all those Open Cup qualifiers, and go Miami soccer. And anything at this point is better than Kane's football. Oh, boy. <laughs>